Welcome to the Perfume Room. Today's episode is just out of this world. I am so excited to share it with you guys. Before we do, my scent of the day today is Robert Piguet Petit Fracas, and I feel like I am saying fracas wrong. I, when I see that word, I want to make the S silent. Like I feel like it's Petit Fracas, but I am not sure. And then the other problem I keep encountering is I keep wanting to add a Yiddish twist to fracas. And it's really hard for me to not say fracas like you would tukas. And that's a me problem. Petit fracas is, sorry, I don't know how to say it. Petit fracas is the most beautiful, gorgeous, candied bubblegum tuberous. If you like the original, this is a more youthful version with these beautiful, juicy notes of pear in the opening, warmed by a soft, sweet cacao. And I feel like tuberous is a hard note to wear in a youthful way. And this just wears so youthful. It is so happy and joyful and playful and flirty. And it totally feels like the younger sister of fr- fracas. And um, what I like about it is that even though it is so youthful and fun and happy, it is so elegant and sophisticated and well blended. And it just makes me absolutely happy wearing this fragrance. And the silage and projection are just as good as the original. It lasts throughout the whole day and I just get whiffs of it on my arm all the time. If you like fragrances like Gucci Bloom or Toca Florence, definitely give this a try. You are welcome. That is also my perfume juice of the day today because I am trying to get straight to this episode because it is sir good. The TikTok question of the day today is a collective question that I have been getting a lot in my comments recently, which is what are my favorite vanillas and or what are the most sophisticated um, vanillas in my collection? So I will share that with you. What I will say as a disclaimer is that vanilla is an ingredient in so many of my favorite fragrances. So I could literally name like 50 fragrances for you that have nice vanilla notes in them, but I'm going to try and name the few that I think are pretty vanilla dominant. Okay, in no order. Here we go. Guerlain Angelique Noir, which is an amazing pear vanilla scent. Gentle Fluidity Gold by Maison Francis Kirkjohn, which is an amazing amber vanilla scent by the fireplace by Maison Margiela. I would also add Commodity Velvet because I think they're very similar. And that's sort of a nutty, fiery vanilla. La Vieille Belle Intensement by Lancome is a vanilla with these beautiful um, iris and raspberry notes. And the last one that I will include in that list would be Bois d'Argent by Christian Dior. And I think that is the most beautiful honeyed vanilla with some gorgeous notes of iris. Okay, on to our guest who truly needs no introduction, but I will give her one. Today on the podcast, we are joined by Anne Gottlieb, who I would say is the most famous nose in the entire industry. She is truly a pioneer and an institution of fragrance. She is also the nose behind every major fragrance from your childhood. Scents like Axe, Dove Body Care, J'adore Dior, Marc Jacobs Daisy, Marc Jacobs Lola, Carolina Herrera 212, every single one of the Calvin Klein fragrances. And honestly, I'm just scratching the surface. Her fragrances range from everything from body care to fine fragrance to home fragrance and more. And if you can smell it and consent it. In this episode, we talk about the rise of edible fragrances, the vision behind Axe, why J'adore Dior would not be created today, 
the difference in style between French fragrances versus American ones, Anne's relationship with and tutelage under Estee Lauder, how Anne got started in this industry, and what her advice is to those who are looking to follow in her footsteps. This episode is chock full of information and stories and heart. You do not want to miss it. Here's Anne. Welcome to the Perfume Room. Today, we have the iconic fragrance entrepreneur, knows so much more, Anne Gottlieb. It is such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. And it is a pleasure for me as well. I know what interests you have in fragrance, and anybody that loves it as much as you is a love of my life. So thank you, Emma, for inviting me. Ah, what a joy. You know, I have to say, the moment, I was really excited to see what your office smelled like. Um, just because you are the ultimate fragrance connoisseur and it smells homey and inviting and warm. And I want to know is just walking into your space, which for everyone listening, it's vibrant and colorful. Um, did you scent your office? No. In fact, uh, au contraire, uh -huh. um, I try and avoid having any ambient smell because okay. we do so much smelling here right. that it conflicts with our valuations. Mm. So we try to have as little smell as possible. Oh, well, I guess I'm just smelling the aroma of everything. Uh, listen, it probably is. Yeah. It actually is sort of like a potpourri of the office. Yes, Yeah. the smell. So I always start the pod asking three questions. What are you currently wearing? But this seems like you're probably not wearing something. Do you have a signature scent? And do you have any fragrance controversial opinion, something that everybody loves that you hate or vice versa? Okay, so I should start with what I'm wearing. Yes. And I'm wearing nothing mm -hmm. um, for the simple reason that I find it conflicts with my evaluations. Mm -hmm. And it uh, often it's not conscious, but I find that um, it shades my nose a bit mm -hmm. so that I wear nothing. And okay. I'm also careful about what I eat. Oh, really? So that I don't have garlic or the kinds of, of smells that permeate f after you've eaten something that come through your pores. Wow. Are, is there ever a time for garlic or it's you're no, strictly no garlic? Oh, no. I, I love garlic. It's just it, while I'm evaluating or when okay. I know that I'm going to have an evaluation. Right. And do you have a signature scent? I don't, actually. Um I guess because of the work that I've done, each time that I develop something, it becomes a loved child. Mm -hmm. And so I'm into it for the duration. And now I work less on fine fragrance. The majority mm -hmm. of my work is on personal care products. Mm -hmm. So I love experimenting with other people's fragrances. Mm -hmm. And are, are there any um, fragrances from other perfumers or houses that you're absolutely adoring right oh, now? Oh, absolutely there are. Um, I am a big fan of the Atelier Cologne. Oh, me too. And um, their vanilla scent is makes me very happy. Yeah. Um, I'm a Tom Ford girl with Soleil Blanc mm -hmm. as a favorite. Um, and I still go back and the fragrances, I wear a couple of the Marc Jacobs fragrances when I am in the mood. But right now it's mostly mood driven. Mm, okay. And do you have any hot takes? Um, this is something that you love that everybody hates or something that you can't stand that most people love or anything like that? No. In fact, Emma, it's, it's surprising to me mm -hmm. that people never comment on what I'm wearing. Mm. And 
oftentimes it's surprising because I know that I'm wearing fragrances that are very obvious, right. and I know that they're acceptable fragrances. Right. So I don't know, it's maybe people are afraid that they would be intimidated to comment on it. I have no idea what it is, hmm. but people do not. But I will tell you a funny story. Yes, please. When Angel was in the works, mm-hmm. I was consulting for Clarence, which is the company that sells it. And I was given the sample to evaluate for them. Mm -hmm. And I was paid for this. And I told them it would never sell. Mm -hmm. So, um, so much for fragrances that I don't get right. Um, And it's a a top seller through and through. It probably still is quite successful. But for a while, it was a top, top seller. Exactly. Well, you know, it's interesting, too, because I know you have a strong background with Bath and Body Works. And I feel like you sort of paved the way for sort of these fruity sweet scents. Mm-hmm. People weren't really wearing them mm-hmm. before. And Angel is sort of like the, the the pathway. I can't find the word right now for those gourmand type scents, right? Without a doubt. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, a trickle down. Mm-hmm. It, it is one of those fragrances that trickle down into personal care. And yes, that was the result. I also, it's surprising because my favorite ingredient is vanilla. Mm-hmm. And I put it in whatever I'm working on, more or less. Mm-hmm. And that is a very sweet kind of fragrance. Mm-hmm. So in retrospect, it's surprising to me that it was so difficult for me to smell. Right. It's, I guess it's interesting. It's like one of those things in hindsight where now that gourmands are so popular, it's like it seems obvious, but at the time... I, yeah, I mean, it's it was a totally new, new yes. scent on the market. In fine fragrance, for sure. Right, right. So how do you think that Bath & Body Works sort of paved the way for so many of the fruity fragrances that you worked on um, and that came to market in the 90s and 2000s? That's kind of when I first started getting into fragrance, and I was totally a fruity floral girl through and through. Mm-hmm. So... Thank you for that. (laughs) I don't think anybody had ever introduced those kinds of fragrances to the American consumer Mm. because it took a long time for fruity florals and fruity fragrances to resonate around the world. Mm -hmm. But we accepted them quite quickly here. And what I guess also helped a lot is the love of addictive fragrances. And generally, they relate very much to taste, to things that taste really yummy. And with watermelons and raspberries and vanilla, in all of them, they were on the sweet side. Well, there's even Bath & Body Works scents that I feel like have paved the way. Like, for example, Glossier U, which has become such a cult favorite, Mm -hmm. especially among people my age. and I feel like Kaleidoscope from Bath & Body Works was sort of like that original. And even White Musk, like these sort of fragrances, um, I, I almost feel like not life imitates art, but fine fragrance potentially imitates Bath & Body Works in some ways, you know? Oh, I think that the love yeah. of fruit and the use of yeah. gourmand notes had a lot to do with influencing. Right. Um, but also Bath & Body Works knows their consumer. Right. And so they, as you know, launch many, many, many products per year. Mm-hmm. And they're right on the money with where they are trend-wise. And um, also, too, the Bath & Body experience took off because no one had put that high a fragrance concentration in commodity products like body lotion and body wash. 
and the consumers found that these high content, fragrance content products left fragrance on their skin so they, in many cases, didn't even need to wear other perfume. And they liked, they were easy. Look at the acceptance and really success of Apple. Right. I mean, Apple is everywhere in every kind of consumer product that you could imagine. And that's certainly an example of that phenomenon. Right. You were talking about sort of understanding your consumer, and I know that that's something that you focus strongly on when you're working with brands to develop their fragrances. It's very true. You, you've done your homework. I've done I've done lots of research. I oh. wanted to talk to you. Okay, so for everyone listening, Anne is the nose and the mastermind behind Axe fragrances, right? Correct, yep. So, I, you know, for everyone out there whose lockers were sprayed with Axe, filled the hallways, for me, that is that, that smell permeated my youth because it came out exactly at the age that it was marketed towards, and it was just yeah, every single tween and teen boy sprayed the hallways with Axe. It was it almost became... <laughs> Wyatt too. It became a, like almost a disruption. Like boys would have it in their pocket and pull it out like a secret weapon in mm -hmm, class and get mm -hmm. sent in the hall. Um, so I think thank you, but also, you know, what a what a that is the smell of my youth. But how what what is the market research you have to do in order to know what a thirteen or fourteen year old boy is gonna like? I have thought that one of the reasons that I have been fortunate with my career path is that if I understand enough about a consumer, I can target them. Mm -hmm. And so that was an understood demographic there for the exact reason that um, I understood that consumer mm -hmm. by reading, listening, pieces of research. And really what happened, and the reason for its success, at least initially, was that Consumers assumed that if you're paying $3, as it was then, for what is a fragrance, mm -hmm. that it has to smell cheap and no one would want to wear it in public, really. Mm -hmm. And what I did in my working on the brand was I adapted really damn good versions of fine fragrance into that can. Totally. And so... They smelled qualitative, mm -hmm. and they were great. And I still feel this way about the brand. They are great value for the money um, because they're really damn good fragrances right. for a very reasonable price. It was revolutionary because I feel like it was the it was the gateway that made young guys say, "Oh, I should care about how I smell," or "I can actually smell like something beyond the deodorant stick that I apply in the morning." And it was really every young guy's entrance into or entryway into fragrance, right? Absolutely. But the brand did a brilliant job of pairing fragrance with the mating game. Mm -hmm. And that confidence and appeal and all of that would really come your way if you use this product. Right. And that and it worked for its time. It to I mean, if a guy had gelled hair, frosted tips, and some Axe body spray, yep. 
Yeah. Gotta get a little hot and heavy, you yep, know? I, I understand. And it's a smell that's so recognizable. I think that's something, every fragrance that you have made is a canon of fragrance. Every fragrance that you've created is one that you smell and you know exactly where you were when you first smelled that. Well, that's the beauty of fragrance in general. Right, right. That it takes you back and transports you to other times of your life. Right. And if they're positive times, wow, what, what a great memory, you know? Right, right. Well, I mean, you know, like I said, with acts, I have a little trauma because it was um, used in an abusive way. Um, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was totally, yeah, it was the smell of my childhood. And then I think about J'adore Dior. And that was like the most iconic fragrance of my, t- like that was aspirational for me. I would go into Sephora and I would just love, love that sort of, I mean, you would describe it better than I do, but it was almost like a white florally, how would you, how would you describe um, J'adore Dior? It is certainly a floral bouquet. Yes. But what makes it universally acceptable mm-hmm. is the use of, of fruit, fruity notes on top of it. Right. And there is a beautiful pear note beautiful. that um, the perfumer, Calise Becker, mm-hmm. who was the actual perfumer who developed mm-hmm. it, gave is like a cherry on top of a delicious sundae. It's perfect. And it it made the fragrance. Right. So it was one that was created to be global for Dior. They mm-hmm. were not able to sell fragrance in the United States. Mm-hmm. And J'adore became the first successful Dior fragrance because of the real fusion, I would say, of fruits and flowers. Right, right. And I also just want to point out, I feel like this is just me um, fangirling over you and complimenting you, but as we mentioned previously to recording, Dior enlisted you, an American, to create J'adore. Did you feel the burden of that? What was that like? I don't think that I felt the burden of it. It's a good question. I don't think that I felt the burden of it, but I can tell you it's something that would never happen today. Right. Never. Why do you think that is? Because the French houses Mm -hmm. have now their own perfumers, Mm -hmm. and it's become something of an elitist thing, Mm -hmm. I think, Dior has its own perfumer, as does Vuitton, as does Givenchy, and so on. So, and and they have become or continued to be extraordinarily French in their tastes. Mm. Interesting. I don't think that a J'adore could happen today because it's not in the French family of fragrance, really. Mm. That's so interesting. How would you differentiate... um, the French, the you know, the, the vibe of French fragrances as opposed to American ones. I think that the way that I can best explain that to you is the difference between Shalimar and Obsession. Okay. Um, Shalimar was the inspiration for Obsession. It was my, well, that and a fragrance from Cartier at the time, which smelled also very much like Shalimar, that vanillin kind of floral, delicious, mm-hmm. beautiful fragrance. Right. And I was... That was my signature fragrance. Mm. So when I um, went on the development track of Obsession, I knew that I wanted to have something in that family. Mm-hmm. But the brief called for a raunchier version. Of Shalimar. Of Shalimar. Interesting, because I feel like it's got a raunchy element to it, but it's very glamorous. Well, Obsession should be a raunchier version, that whereas um, Shalimar was 
very prim and proper in a way. If you smell it compared to obsession, right? Obsession is so much more American. It's out there. Right. It is, right. I want to say not quite as ladylike, perhaps. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, and that is, I think, a really good difference um, between the two camps of fragrance. Hmm. Now I need to go home and do like a side-by-side yes, smell do that. test. I do totally, that. I want to do that. I used to have a blog in 2009 when I was 17, and I wrote this whole post called an Ode de Parfum, and it was about my obsession with Lola and how it was like <laughs> finally a fragrance marketed for me, and I talked about the bottle and the color of the bottle and the design, and it's just crazy because that was that was you, right? It was. Wow, I am, you're meeting the, the demo. Here I am. I just like, I waxed poetic about the shape of the bottle, the color. And Wasn't it gorgeous? Gorgeous. Yes, and it just was. the scent, it was a, a warm floral. And yep. I, I had found, I would go in my free time, back when Sephora was really only in Times Square, right, before there were so many, you know, chains of it, or that I knew of at least, for like my birthday every year, I would ask my mom if we could go to Times Square. And my mom's a native New Yorker. She's like, oh oh God. And all we would do is just go to Times Square and I would just smell every single fragrance and catalog them in my brain. And I remember when I smelled Lola for the first time and I was just like, this feels um, really like a signature scent. So, What did your mother wear while you were growing up? My mom was very anti-perfume. And I think that it was because my grandmother was very pro-perfume. I mean, obviously, my I, my mom and my grandmother were very close, but I think she just always associated perfume with sort of loud and suffocating because my grandmother wore Giorgio. Um, oh, dear. But I do love Giorgio. Mm-hmm. And I think Giorgio could make a comeback. For everybody listening, I think Giorgio is like the tuberose that could totally come back today. I love, I, I really enjoy it. She also wore, um, I forget which Van Cleef, but she had one of the Van Cleef. First? You know, it would. Ha- I don't even remember the name. It would. Ha- I would have to see the bottle. You are talking about again two polar opposites yes. between Giorgio and uh, a fragrance from Van Cleef in Arpel. Right. And the, Giorgio, well, it typifies what was going on in America at that time. Right. Today, it still would smell very old and um, not quite as classy as one might want to feel wearing a fragrance. Yeah. And Van Cleef is very typically French and lady night, expensive ingredients that you, exactly. it smells so expensive, but it is very prim. Right. Well, what do you think about, so, I mean, when I think about fashion, for example, I'm a big believer that you can mix um, a very affordable piece, you know, something fast fashion from H&M that you got for $6 with something designer. And do you feel like you were mentioning how Giorgio feels old, do you feel like if a youthful person, you know, asking for a friend, this is totally not for me, but do you feel like if somebody young wore Giorgio that it would feel like a young fragrance or do you feel like it would feel like a young person, you know, wearing an old fragrance? It's a tough question for for me to answer because I know too much. Mm. And there is a a fragrance ingredient called methyl anthranolate that is the heart of that fragrance. And that all the fragrances that were developed around that time have a fairly high content of methyl anthranolate. So it smells very, when I smell it, it's very dated to right, me. Right. So I could not, I understand where you're going with that, right. but I'm not sure you picked the right vehicle. 
Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Are there other fragrances that I might know that have that same ingredient that could yes. be a reference for me? Yes. Um, I have to think of, oh, Amarige. Oh, I don't know that one. Um, that was a Givenchy fragrance, mm. I believe. Yeah. And if you really want to know, I, I can find out. For, oh, yeah. beautiful also. Okay. Um, Estee Lauder is beautiful. I guess it's one of those things where when you know you know, the sauce that goes into it, it's hard for you to, like, I see it also, I think I also have such a positive association because I just think of like my grandmother and she had this, um, you know, armoire with all these different scents. And I would just, even since I was four years old, if we went to her apartment, I would just like sneak into her bedroom and just, I would walk out as like a four-year-old smelling like Giorgio and my mom would be like, what are are you doing? But I think that that's why my mom was also so anti-fragrance. Fragrance just always made her feel nauseous. And as I've gotten into fragrance, I've tried to sort of change her nose and help. My mom loves wine and she loves tasting wine. She loves exploring wine. And so I, I end up getting, you know, samples and bottles delivered daily. And during quarantine, I was living with her. And so I would just, I would lay them all out on blotters and I would say, regardless of whether you would wear this, regardless of whether you'd want to be on a road trip with someone wearing this. What do you think about this? What do you smell? Do you like it? And she's really refined her nose too. And now she wears just like a really simple white musk fragrance because it's hard for her to go deeper than that. But Mm -hmm. she is so happy wearing this like amber, you know, this like white amber, white musk. Mm -hmm. And it's become just like her signature scent. So So she is wearing something. Because of me. Uh I also want to understand what does a nose versus a perfumer do in the role of making a a perfume? Think about it in terms of an orchestra. I'm sort of the conductor Mm -hmm. and they're the people in the orchestra. Mm -hmm. So my role technically is as the liaison between my clients and the perfumers. Mm -hmm. And I translate the images of my clients Mm -hmm. into scent. Mm -hmm. But I'm the one that would say, um, brief first with what we're looking for, and then really build a fragrance and follow it as it evolves. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I do. And how would you say that that process differs when you're doing fine fragrance versus home care, versus air care, versus all, you know, all the different categories of fragrances? They are surprisingly um, very similar, mm-hmm. regardless of whether or not it's a fragrance for Calvin Klein, a fragrance for Axe, or a candle. Mm-hmm. And you just need to know where it's being used, who's using it, mm-hmm. and really what the end result is that you're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. One of the things that has helped me tremendously with my air care business is the work that I've done in body care. Mm -hmm. And there are quite a few fragrances that I've had translated into wax that were body washes, body Mm -hmm. lotions, and so on, and with great success to doing that. Mm -hmm. You also, though, have to take into account in doing personal care how it's being used, how long it stays on your skin, what kind of bloom you're looking for, where with fragrance. Mm-hmm. It's the obvious parameters that you would be looking for in developing mm-hmm. a fine fragrance. Right. Are there any trends today that you are really seeing in the fine fragrance segment of, you know, this is about to be the next it fragrance or the next it family of fragrances that are really popular right now? What has been interesting to me, Em, 
is that the shift between people fragrancing their homes over themselves mm. and that so many people have abandoned using fragrance at least as often as they did before because they're surrounded by the fragrance in their environment that mm -hmm. is the result of their choosing. Mm. So if you look in that trade class, it's comfort. It's all about feeling good and getting a fragrance that smells like a hug and being able to relax and feel comforted. Mm -hmm. So there's that aspect, and then there's the wellness category that's been very popular, which is very natural and green and wonderful right. kinds of um, eucalyptus notes and things of that sort that are tamed, though, for wear mm -hmm. so that you can wear them. And that is affecting, I think, um, fragrance in general. Mm -hmm. But it has become such a source, uh, it probably always was, but it is now such a source of not only self-expression, but of making you feel good. And right. that's what we're all after. We, I just worked on a line that continues called Find Your Happy Place. Mm. And so each fragrance represented a different happy place. And that's what people are looking for now, things that make them happy and feel good. That's lovely. What were the different happy places? Are they like actual locations? Yeah, oh. they weren't actual locations. One was based on a beach. One was based mm -hmm. on after the rain. Mm -hmm. One was based on follow the sunset. Right. Things of that um, ilk, that um, girls' night out. Right, right. Things like that that are experiences. It's about experiences, really. Experiences that you would want and what fragrances would go with those experiences. What's your happy place? Oh, my goodness. I think that my happy place, if it can be anything in the whole world, would be with my grandsons. Mm. So it's family. Are those your grandsons? Yes, except they're now 19 and 16. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, so they've aged. We're looking at a so. beautiful photo in the office that's very Warhol-esque, and uh, they're young boys there. They are certainly young boys there. And it has helped as they came into the Axe age group. Mm -hmm. It has been great mm -hmm. because they were very willing testers for me. Right. And I'm sure very honest, too, because there's nothing at stake Indeed. to tell their Absolutely. grandmother how they feel. Absolutely, they well, did. That's, I, well, you know, one of my questions was, how do you talk to that marketplace? And you, there you go, right there. Um, very helpful. That's wonderful. I also wanted to talk about, I know that you were trained by Estee Lauder. What was the process of how you got into fragrance and your relationship with her? She was very involved in all of her fragrance work, and she would test fragrances by going around and pouring them on people. <laughs> That's one way to do it. Yes. <laughs> and so I was one of the people that became a poor E. <laughs> and I was there in an entry-level job, which you probably know, um, and she would solicit my opinion and I was very honest with her and probably most people weren't right so she came more and more to question me and have me evaluate and it got to a point where she also would then take me with her to the fragrance houses. Oh, wow. um, and it was a really, it was a very interesting relationship. It was also, to be honest with you, a very tumultuous relationship. Mm -hmm. She would get angry at me and 
fire me, and mm-hmm. the next morning she'd call and hire me back. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> she was a really interesting individual. And I'm not sure that she would be so easy to live with. Right. I do understand her drive, which was just remarkable. Right. And she had, I don't know if I can say this, a really big pair of balls. Yeah, you can say that. And she really drove that business. And watching that was fascinating. I also had my children were the exact age of her grandchildren. So I would help her shop for them. Um, she would take me to lunch, and it would I would, in, in certain situations, die because she would walk in a, this great Italian restaurant and start pouring fragrance on people oh sitting there. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. And did people know who she was and why she was doing it? Or yes, she just, yeah. I'm sure that they did. Wow. That do you ever do that, you know, when you're testing things? You know, no. just go up and... Never. No. Yeah, what have you taken from her leadership style into your own, and what stayed with Este? She always looked for something that was unique in terms of how it would smell. And she had a really good feeling for that. Mm -hmm. And nothing that she did ever was Me Too. Mm -hmm. But they still were extraordinarily individual, Mm -hmm. individualistic in their own right, in each of their own rights. So what I did learn from her was how important it is to test on people and right. see what their responses are, and also to have something that was strong and full-bodied mm-hmm. and um, of really good quality. Right. And you've, I mean, you launched your own line in 1983, right? Or your own business in yes. 1983. Yep. What has that experience, how, how many employees have you had over the years, or have you trained people? Um, what's that experience been like? Um, I have now... Um, an assistant, mm-hmm. Ashley, who is my right arm. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's been with me 10 years this week, actually. Mm-hmm. And we started when my business was much smaller so that I didn't know how this would develop, but we thought that we would try it together. And then I have a bookkeeper. And it's always been pretty much that. Right. Um, I am extraordinarily hands-on mm-hmm. because I'm paid for my expertise. Right. I do know in retrospect that um, I, I don't know, I'm pretty sure, that had I wanted to enlarge my business in any manner of different ways, I could have done that. But I always was fearful of that. Right. So it became essentially um, a fragrance development business. But because of the way that I create, I'm a marketer with a good nose, really, not so much just a nose that really selects beautiful fragrances. They always have to have a purpose for me. Right, right. What was the process of, besides Estee, pouring things on you and taking you with her, what, what was the training that you had to undergo to actually understand the depth of all the different perfume notes and ingredients that exist? What's that process like? I, I'm still learning. Mm-hmm. Um, I trained the same way as a lab technician would, mm-hmm. but un- unknowingly to me, because the more you use your nose, it's like a muscle, and the better it becomes. Right. So much of my work was on-the-job training, but I would go with her to IFF at the time. That, that's the only fragrance house that uh, that Lauder used. Mm-hmm. And 
it was there that I really started learning mm-hmm. about the, the tree, rather than the art of it, but the, the chemistry of some of it and so on. But to a degree, I did that. But I also consider myself more really a customer than I am a creator in mm-hmm. that way because... I smell like a customer would, not so much like a perfumer would. Right. And I also think that that's been of great help to me. And none of this was premeditated. This was all as my business developed the style that accompanied it. Right. Are there any innovations in the fragrance world right now that you are just astounded by? Like whether it's a a way of extraction or or, you know, a new compound, anything that is just really stand out to you right now? Um, I, I sadly say no, really, because I do think that this is one of the art forms that has not developed as well as maybe others. Mm-hmm. There is just now research being done on the effect of fragrance on the mind, on the brain, mm-hmm. and what it does and how it can be used. Um, and... It is unfortunate that it has taken that long and it's not being used because, as you said before about the memory association, if you smell something that's wonderful, it calms you. It it has so so many effects on an individual who experiences a fragrance that they either like or don't. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking forward to seeing more of that happen. It's an industry and you probably know this just as well, that really has changed very little in, um, God, 50 years, 60 years, maybe even more. Right. And the big changes are in the ingredients that are being delisted because they have become allergens or synthetic, doing a lot of of wonderful synthetic work. But as an industry, it stayed pretty much the same. No, it's it's pretty traditional, and it seems from the outside looking in, it feels like a gate kept industry. That when you get a chance to get in, it's a you know it feels like a lucky one, but it definitely feels like there's so much behind the scenes that, as a just a perfume fan and consumer, mm-hmm. that I would just never, never know about. What a treat it is talking with Anne. I hope you can hear the sheer excitement in my voice throughout this entire episode. Anne is a wealth of knowledge. This entire hour is Perfume 101. But as always, today's Technical Perfume 101 is on animal notes. Do you ever eat a food and the way that that food is harvested, you're just like, how did people know to eat this? Like I look at crustaceans and I'm like, how did somebody know that they could cut open this exoskeleton, and have delicious lobster and crab meat inside. This is a bad analogy because lobster and crab, in my honest opinion, are delicious. And this to me is disgusting. But today's Perfume 101 is on animal materials. And luckily today, these are all illegal for obvious reasons, except for one, and I will explain why it is still legal. But back in the day, our grandparents and our great-great-grandparents were doing some freaky shit with their fragrance, and there were notes in perfumery that were harvested from animals, including civets, beavers, and deer, and sperm whales. Oh my. In civets, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right, beavers and deer, basically there were secretions extracted from their glands. I haven't actually smelled 
any of these in their pure form. So I'm not entirely sure what they smell like, but I believe that they are all, and someone correct me if I'm wrong, fixative ingredients in that they enhance and round out other notes and improve the projection and lasting power. Which is also the case with this other ingredient, which you probably have heard of, and you've probably smelt it in some synthetic form. And that is ambergris. And the reason why ambergris is technically ethical, though incredibly rare and incredibly expensive, is because it comes from an external secretion. Um, when something is rejected in the stomach of a sperm whale, it is a stone that washes up ashore. So yeah, it just makes me wonder how this was initially discovered because as a kid, there were times where my dog um, would have an issue and he'd be scooting around the rug. And I can't say it ever occurred to me or anyone in my family to um, take those secretions and bottle that into perfume. What a missed opportunity. So now if somebody ever says, you smell like an animal, take a shower, you can simply say, animals are a natural perfume ingredient. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed today's 101 and learned something new. Let's get back to Anne. What do you think about, um, you know, you were talking about these different compounds and these new trends. Do you, what do you think about the clean movement? And do you feel a lot of people who are clean perfumers talk about the harm of synthetics? Do you feel like that's valid? Absolutely not. No. I think that that whomever is responsible it has done the, the industry a great disservice mm -hmm. because there are certain ingredients that you can't do without that right. are synthetic. Also, there are certain notes. Um, you cannot ever get a natural fruit right. other than a citrus. You can't get um, flowers like Lily of the Valley. I'm sure you know all this. Um, by in a um, a garden with extraction, the way that so many other oils are really, I guess, developed, and the industry has taken a really bad rap right. on really denying that synthetics are good for you. Right. I mean, I get comments on my videos being like, "Oh, this perfume you're recommending." is like an endocrine inhibitor or is going to make you infertile, but yeah, keep talking about it. And I'm just like, what are, well, first off, TikTok is a crazy place. And if you're not on it, you're lucky. But what are, is that, tr is there validity to that? No, not at all. No. And what happened, which I'm sure you understand as well, is that the food industry, which did go natural with in a worthy way, mm -hmm there has been spillover in consumers thinking that because it applies to foods, that it applies to fragrance. It, it couldn't be further from the truth. Clean is different, and I believe in that tremendously, because clean means it's free of. And the things that it's free of are um, questionable. So the fact that that is respected, but that's happens. Right. It's just a new way of looking at an industry that's already doing something right. that um, nobody wants to, to offer a fragrance that has known allergens in it right. or something that might be suspect of causing cancer right. or in infiltrating mother's milk and Right. Uh, that's These are the comments that I get. Yep. Like, you're never going to have a child. I hope you enjoy that perfume. And I'm like, I'm making content about fragrance. This is so, I'm so not the audience for like these like crazy, crazy these crazy right. comments. Um, and I actually, I totally agree with you. And I've been a big proponent of 
Like the, the people who create perfumers are classically trained perfumers are scientists and anything that could potentially in some amount do damage, they're not working with it in that amount. It's very regulated, right? Very regulated. Right. You had asked before about any discoveries. Are you familiar with headspace technology? Yes, I am, okay. and it's fascinating. Because that's probably the greatest discovery right. um, in terms of opening up a perfumer's palate to have all of these magical ingredients and also provide sustainability yeah. with, with some ingredients that just are endangered, and yet you could recreate them right. in a perfumer's lab with something that smells, if not identical, quite similar. Right, and so for people who are listening who aren't familiar with the technology, um, do you want to explain exactly, or I mean, I can I can try, but it's probably not as good as oh, you Oh, please, do. go ahead. So I basically, from my understanding, is that you can essentially bottle the airspace of a smell, you know, if you're in a specific place in nature and you're like, oh, this, the way that these trees smell with this air, with these flowers, there's a way to compound it into a machine and lock the smell of that air, and this is layman's terms, and then a perfumer will actually be able to parse out each a different ingredient and recreate it in a lab. That is a wonderful description, which I'd just like to add to a little bit. Please, please. In order to do it efficiently, you have to have, you, you take a glass jar mm-hmm. and a bell jar and okay. you put it over that which you wish to capture. Mm-hmm. And let's say it's Lily of the Valley. Mm-hmm. So there are gases that are emitted from the flower that are in this airspace, mm-hmm. and there is a suction in there that removes the air. Mm-hmm. It then takes that air, which has the fragrance of Lilia Valley in it, and they run it through a machine that measures the peaks of that fragrance from a chemical standpoint. Wow. There are special perfumers that all they do is translate the electrocardiogram type papers right. for this fragrance. The science behind it exactly. is, is incredible. And they and they recreate it that way. Wow. So it just has increased the ingredients that go into fragrance and beautifully and and one can can design fragrances that before that never could have been. Right, right. And for people who are listening, there's a lot of Um, you know, perfume lovers like myself who listen to this podcast and people will message me sometimes and ask how to break into the industry, which is something I haven't done myself. How would you advise um, someone trying to get into the fragrance industry go about it? Uh, That's a good question. Probably to apply directly to a fragrance house Mm -hmm. or to the Fragrance Foundation. Mm -hmm. The Fragrance Foundation is now a a group that is, um, as it sounds, um, of which you are an honoree. I was, yes, thank you. Um, Congratulations. And, and it, is, it is headed up by a wonderful woman whose name is Linda Levy, and she could also help if one really wants to do that. Okay. So there are many, many, many oil houses, fragrance mm-hmm. perfume houses that actually make the oils, and they are IFF, and Furmanish and Jividon mm-hmm. and Mon, many of them, mm-hmm. and write to their HR departments. Right. People often want to know what the different roles are in the fragrance world. What is the difference between a perfumer versus 
um, a nose versus an evaluator versus like what the someone on the marketing team does. These are all different departments, right? They are. The perfumer obviously is the person that actually creates the fragrances. They mm-hmm. have a lab technician mm-hmm. who works for them, and it has been the road that uh, quite a number of perfumers have followed in order to become a perfumer. Mm-hmm. They start there as a, as a lab technician and and journey through it, and it takes time. Mm-hmm. The evaluators perform the same role that I perform for my clients. They are the intermediary between sales and perfumery. Okay. And let's say that they get a brief for a new Marc Jacobs fragrance. Right. This evaluator has worked on this brand, knows quite a bit about it. If it's a brand I'm working on, they know my tastes. Right. And so they work with the perfumers to put together fragrances that will be submitted to me. Mm-hmm. So that's what the evaluators do. Okay. Sales is sales. They are the right. arm of the company. There is also marketing, but marketing in the fragrance business is different than it is in other businesses because it is not, nobody has any kind of bottom line responsibility. What the marketer's job is, is either to earmark market research Mm -hmm. and or to work on something that can be submitted to their clients that will help that client think that their peach ingredient is better than a, a other company's peach ingredient. Okay. They are there as business enhancers. Mm-hmm. Interesting. More than the marketers that are traditionally known in the business. This is in the fragrance development part. Mm-hmm. Then there are the normal people who are in jobs that would you would have in any company, procurement, right. HR, yeah. things of that sort. So before we get to the very last segment of the show, which is a rapid-fire scent association game, I want to ask, of all of the works of art that you have created over the years, if someone said, pick one, and forget the rest. Could you do that? And if so, you mean what would be my top choice? Yes, what's your favorite? J'adore. Mm-hmm. I mean, j'adore yep. Dior, truly. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Well, we are on to the final segment of the show, and and that is called "What's That Smell?" Mmm. What's that smell? Where I am just going to say different people, places things and you just tell me scent association whatever you associate with that in terms of perfume in terms anything of- at all it could be a perfume it could be a color it could be a okay. perfume note anything okay shall we play what's that i'm ready that? i'm ready okay what is the smell of new york city um whatever the smell of energy is mm. that's the smell of new york city what is the smell of your home welcoming what is the smell of, uh, can you tell I'm, I'm coming up with these as I go. What is the smell of youth? Fruit, fruity notes. What's the smell of love? Vanilla. What is the smell of you, of Anne? Um, a fragrance that is comforting, warm, um, identifiable, mm-hmm. not fatiguing, mm-hmm. um, and that I love to keep smelling on myself. Is there is there anyone that's like that you're thinking of right now as you say that? Well, since I, as I mentioned before, the um, 
Atelier Vanilla. That's oh, beautiful. Comes to mind. Yes. There are a lot of Atelier Vanilla Ensemble fans um, who listen to this podcast, so they will be very happy to hear that that's one of your favorites. And, hmm, okay, what is the smell of, um, of summer? Ah, the smell of summer is a beautiful leafy green note um, that has a great dimension to it. And the last question, what is the smell of your family? The smell of my family. I have to tell you that in terms of fragrance because each of them wears a distinct fragrance that I associate with them. Oh, I would love to hear. My son-in-law is a CK1 user. Okay, loyal to the family. Very loyal to the family. (laughs) My daughter actually is bereft because she used to wear a fragrance that is no longer made. That mm-hmm. was one of mine called Chloe, mm-hmm. Chloe Innocence. And the main ingredients of it can no longer be used, so oh. it can't be recreated. So I don't know that she necessarily has a smell. Mm. My grandson, my axe buddy, now wears carbon from Prada. Okay. And my grandson, um, I'm just happy when he smells good. I, I, I understand what you're saying. I'm reading between the lines of what you are saying right now. That is also, there's Axe, and then yeah. there's Teen B.O., yeah. and sometimes they go hand in hand, unfortunately. Indeed. Yes. Well, Anne, it has been an absolute joy. I feel like I've just learned so much from you, and um, it's just been an absolute pleasure. So thank you so very much. And for everyone listening, you... You are welcome. Anne has just given so much knowledge and heart and information, um, and I hope you all enjoyed the episode. Your enthusiasm is catching, and this has been a pleasure for me as well, Emma, so thank you. Thank you. Perfume Room is edited by Wyatt Peake. Music is by Max Vernon, and illustrations are by Israel Rodriguez. 